A single Christian woman named Lisa expressed on her blog a sentiment that unfortunately many other Christian singles resonate with. The only time I feel lonely as a single person is when I come to church. I expressed those words to my pastor. He was a bit surprised by what I said, so he asked for clarification. Why would you feel lonely when you come to church, he asked. Then I shared the following. Because it's church people who hold up my left hand, run their fingers across them and say, oh, no ring yet? Because it's church people who tell me to hurry up, get married, and have babies because time is running out. Because it's church people who come up to me and say, I'm surprised that a woman as beautiful and intelligent as you are isn't married yet. Why can't you find a man? Because it's the church that celebrates married love on Valentine's Day while the singles simply stare and are reminded that they are not loved by anyone. Because it's church members who do not invite me, a single, to life events. No invitations to marriage ceremonies because as a single I'm not married. No invitation to baby showers because as a single I'm not a parent. No invitations to engagement parties because as a single I'm not engaged nor about to get married. I could be the best of friends with the person and they won't invite me to any of these life events. I could teach their children in Sunday school, say words of encouragement to the mom about their wonderful child and they'll invite the whole church, but not me because I'm single. Because it's married women who can't be in sisterhood with me because they think I'm out to steal their husband. So they clutch at his arm like they're clutching at a string of pearls around their neck. Because it's the church that gives flowers to mothers on Mother's Day and ignores the aunts, the godmothers, the spiritual mums, the mums who have lost children, the foster mums, and other ways in which women who might not have had children pass through their wombs and who contribute to the spiritual, emotional, and physical growth of other women's children. Because it's pastors who preach messages to help married people stay married, but not preach messages to help single people not feel like they are damaged. Because it's in the church that women's ministries hold seminars for single women to help them wait for their Boaz, but no one is teaching them how to instead live a vibrant full life. Because it's in the church where single women learn that unless their milestones are getting engaged, getting married, getting pregnant, or having a baby, that any other personal or professional milestones really don't matter. The church does such a good job of affirming women who are married and women who are mothers. Yet it excludes women who are not married and who are not mothers. Instead, I'm told that I'm too picky, too selfish, and too self-absorbed. I only hear those judgmental words when I enter into the church. Sometimes I smile and try to be polite. Other times I lash out with anger at their insensitive words. Most times I dodge the very people who have critiques and insensitive words for my plight as a single person. And for that reason, the only time I feel lonely is when I come to church. Two years ago, I preached a sermon on singleness, and I remember a single woman in her 40s in our church say to me, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I've never heard a sermon on singleness. Well, my sister, now you're going to get two. (laughs) 
See, in the church, we've often made too much of marriage, which our text this morning will serve as a corrective on. Making too much of marriage, our text this morning will serve as a corrective on. We've also, in the church, made too little of singleness, which has led us to make the kinds of insensitive comments to singles like Lisa mentioned moments ago. The context we find ourselves in, if you're unaware, is we're in a a letter to the Corinthians called 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 7. It's most of the way into your Bible. There's the four Gospels, then there's the book of Acts, book of Romans, then we get into 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And the context we find ourselves in, uh, looking back into our, our message last week, is that the circumstances that you find yourself in right now are... Literally, God's assignment to you. Verse 17, which we looked at last week, said, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Meaning, if you're married, that's God's assignment to you where you're at. If you have children, that's God's assignment to you where you're at. The job you're in, that's God's assignment to you right now. The neighborhood you live in, that's part of God's assignment to you as a follower of Jesus If you find yourself single today, this is God's assignment to you now to live for Jesus in this context. And so we pick it up to see that the Apostle Paul is going to speak even more fully into singleness in this regard. He says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, a positive anxiousness, not a negative anxiousness, but a a commitment to, a drive towards the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman, now we're going to hear the word betrothed a number of times this morning, it literally means virgins. But it was understood at that time, yes, it was kind of an ancient um, engagement, a kind of multi-year, arranged marriage kinds of thing, for, for years out, all that kind of stuff. But it literally means virgins, and when it says betrothed, it's speaking to singles who are of marriageable age. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, literally in all of her life. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, literally like kind of sexual passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin." But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, literally sexual desires, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, which is single. So now we're talking to widows and widowers here, that branch of singleness that exists. 
He deems that it's better that you remain as you are. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. I have a kindred relationship with Paul because that is sarcasm. And I love sarcasm too much. But, and then when I see the Apostle Paul use it, I'm like, oh boy, giving me license here. But he's like, I think I too have the Spirit of God, so you can believe my words. What I'm saying is true. Singleness is great. And so this morning, we're just going to hunker down on, on, on the truths we see in this text. We're going to look at five ways you can be fulfilled and flourish as a single unmarried person. We're taking this from the text of Scripture. This isn't a self-help sermon. This isn't five ways to... I don't know. It's not like a cosmopolitan magazine when you're at the cashier. Like this isn't, you know, that kind of stuff. It's literally five ways from Scripture that you can be fulfilled and flourish as a single unmarried person. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was speaking to to sex in marriage. I thought we had a pretty good time. Um, And I said then, it's helpful for everybody to hear this, whether you're married or not. Now we're talking to singles. We're talking specifically about singleness, but it's helpful for everybody to hear this. Because some of you are single. Some of you will be widows and widowers later in life. That's getting dark, isn't it? But that, that comes. And so these are circumstances we need to hear. Plus, we are a part of Christian community. And so it's helpful for the married people to, to, to learn about singleness so that we're better community for them. So in every regard, this is for everybody this morning, even as we focus in on singleness. Here's the first way that you can be fulfilled and flourish as a single unmarried person. Find your identity in Christ. But see, look, right, this is for everybody. I mean, the Christian is called to find their identity in Christ. The temptation that this fallen human condition, these crooked hearts of ours, the temptation is to find our identity in a plethora of things that don't rhyme with Christ, that aren't Christ. We place our identity in lesser temporal things that are fleeting. Listen, we can't take our bank accounts with us when we die. It's a fleeting thing. Don't find your identity in your money. How high the job ladder you climb won't matter in the life to come. It's fleeting. How big your house was will be completely insignificant in the life to come. Don't bank your life on it. Don't find your identity in your wealth, in your stuff, in your position, in your status. What matters in this life is that it has everything to do with what we do with Jesus. He's all that's eternal. Now, I say this right out of the gate because for many singles, the prospect of a spouse is consuming. It's driving the bus when it comes to identity. But a a spouse isn't meant to be a god. A spouse is meant to be a gift. But it's a telltale sign that a spouse is seen as a god and not a gift when to find a spouse would be heaven and not to would be hell. See, See, That's turning a spouse or the prospect of one into an idol. Tim Keller famously said, when you make a good thing, like like having a spouse, that's that's a good desire. When you take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, that's an idol. Any good thing, it's a lesser thing than Christ, but any good thing that you make into an ultimate thing, that's an idol in your life. Is it riches? Well, then to get riches, you're heaven. And to be poor, to be in poverty would be your hell. Right? To have high status 
if you're looking for significance from others as, as, as everything, as, as your God, as your Savior, then high status is heaven. And having a low status, not being seen well by others, is your hell. See, because our hearts are created to worship something, they always do. Every human heart worships. It's created to worship. But only God is the divine that our hearts were designed to worship. And we often put divine attributes onto things that aren't divine, onto lesser things, but we want them to deliver the divine. So our identity as Christians, as human beings, is meant to be wrapped up in Jesus. How can you have a fulfilled, flourishing life as a single, unmarried person? First and foremost, find your identity in Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot uh, was married to Jim Elliot, who early in their marriage was speared to death when he attempted to do missions work to an unreached people group in the Amazon. She wrote, having now spent more than 41 years single, I have learned that it is indeed a gift, not one I would choose. I know many singles in our midst resonate with that. Okay, yeah, I see biblically, yeah, yeah, singleness is a gift, but it's not one I would choose. She goes on, not one, not Many women would choose, not one many women would choose, but we do not choose our gifts, remember? We are given them by a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning and wants above all else to give us the gift of himself. Sometimes we feel like if God doesn't give me this thing, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care, he doesn't notice me. And what Elizabeth Elliot in 41 years of singleness came to discover is God loves me so much that he gave me this gift that I've been reluctant about, but I've come to see as a gift because more than anything, he wants to give me himself. And perhaps if I had settled for a lesser identity in something like a spouse, I wouldn't have learned, I wouldn't have discovered what he's shown me through all the years of singleness. Live for Jesus in the midst of the life that God has assigned to you right now and see that he wants your life to be wrapped up in Jesus. Second, cultivate deep Christian friendships. How can you live a fulfilled and flourishing life as a single, unmarried person? Cultivate, cultivate deep Christian friendships. This letter to the Corinthians is written by a, a man named Paul. He was a single man. And yet, if you read his letters, you discover that he had deep Christian friendships galore. In every letter, he's naming people that he loves, that he longs to see, and could you send them, or this person came, and my heart was soaring when they arrived. He had this friend named Barnabas. They had a bit of a falling out. We see that in Scripture at one point. And yet, they just spent years together. They were sent out by the church in Antioch to go plant churches in, in different countries and different cities, and off they went, just living, striving side by side for the cause of the gospel, planting churches. He had a friend named Silas. They did prison time together. And if the the movies and the shows I watch about prison, like prison friendships, those are deep friendships. You know, we were in in prison together, bonds like this. That's, that's, That's Paul and Silas. I didn't sell that very well, did I? No. Matt, pretending he did prison time. There you go. All right. Luke. 
Luke is the gospel writer, Luke. He also wrote uh, the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. He, he's, he's traversing a lot of these cities with the Apostle Paul, and he's recording what God is doing. Just loved Paul, and, and Paul loved Luke. Paul had this married couple friend named Priscilla and Aquila. They brought this man named Apollos close, and they taught him more the, the ways of the gospel. He was a great teacher, but he wasn't very refined in gospel teaching. And Priscilla and Aquila, these friends of Paul, bring in Apollos, and they, they teach him more about how to be a faithful minister of the gospel. Good friend. Good friends of the apostle Paul. Timothy. Timothy was like a spiritual son. Paul. Paul didn't have kids. Uh, Timothy, we we hear about his mother and grandmother in Scripture. We don't hear about his father. So there's this beautiful relationship where for Paul, Timothy's like a spiritual son. And for Timothy, Paul's like his spiritual dad. Look at how Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter to him. To Timothy, my beloved child, I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Most of us are like, I wish my dad talked to me like that. (laughs) I think about you night and day. I pray for you. I think of your tears, the hardships you're going through, and I just want to be where you are so we can just have... That would bring me so much joy, Timothy. I love you. To live a life of singleness does not mean to live a life void of deep, rich, meaningful Christian friendships. Dietrich Bonhoeffer modeled this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, man, I think he's had a movie done about his life. He needs like a, a, like a Hollywood, but legit Hollywood movie done about him because his story's insane. Bonhoeffer is a German theologian who, who, who lived in adulthood during World War II, was actually in America, New York, I believe, in, in the midst of World War II, and said, no, I need to get back there, actually. I can't abandon my country, followers of Jesus. He didn't like where the church was going in the midst of World War II in Germany, so he went back as a critic of the way that many of the churches were capitulating to Nazism, and he's speaking just... As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, in fact, he did a very unmennonite thing and tried to assassinate Hitler, was part of a plot, and at that point, he was put into a prison camp. He died in that prison camp days before um, the war ended. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote an incredible book in the midst of living that life called uh, The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote another book, significant book, I think as good called Life Together, all about Christian community. And here he is as the single middle-aged man writing about Christian community. He said, the single person needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. Man, my wife Emily has been such a gift in that at moments, usually when I don't want to hear it, she speaks God's word in um, the single isn't, um, isn't meant to have a life where there's not a cl- close brother or sister in Christ who speaks God's word in. And we need to ensure that we have those kinds of deep, meaningful relationships. See, when God made Adam, the Bible says, it is not good that the man be alone. Sometimes that not good is answered by a community and not a spouse. You realize that? 
It's not good that this man be alone. Sometimes that not good is a reference to Christian community, not a spouse. Singleness should not equate to aching loneliness or exclusion from some sort of inner community of the church for married couples and families. The inner sanctum of real community is where the married families are. That ought not be. See, we accomplish this kind of Christian community, this robust, beautiful Christian community that Bonhoeffer speaks of when we don't draw arbitrary lines for our community based on marital status, age, children. How does this work itself out in in our community at large? Well, here's how it works out. If you're a married couple, don't just invite married couples over for dinner. Invite singles over for dinner. And don't invite like a single woman in her 40s and a single man in his 40s. And, and, and that's how you invite singles to dinner. Like, that's tough for everybody. If you invite couples or families over, make it a part of, of, of your routine to invite singles over. If you're in a life group, our, our, our goal for life groups isn't affinity groups. We, we all do macrame. And we all stain old wood furniture, and that's what, those are the things I'm looking for in a life group. Like that, that's not how we do community here. Those are, that's a neat club, and you're welcome to do that. I could have picked on anything, but, you know, macrame is fun. Uh, and so, not fun to do, fun to pick on. Maybe fun to do. What we would love for our life groups... I think actually where they flourish most is actually when they're rounded in demographics. Like where there's singles among us, some older folks, some younger folks. Some people have kids, some don't. I I know that's complicated for calendars and things like that, but here's the reality. I know from talking to you, almost all of you crave mentorship. And yet when you want to join a life group, you say, could I have people in my stage of life? Yeah, but what you need more than anything is an older, wiser person to speak in. And what older, wiser people need to do is not just sit with old, wise people. Talking about how wise they are, making great comments on the text. Well, I, I also knew this answer. You know, actually, we need, we need them to immerse themselves with the younger ones who are lost or who need hope in a circumstance that you've lived all the way through. Like, that's what we all really crave. Uh, the, the life group we were most recently a part of flourished most when it was rounded that way. There's this single guy, just really bright, really sharp. He got married now, moved away, and now we don't hang out. But I just really appreciated the roundedness he brought, and he really appreciated coming to our place, even though he was the only single there. He rounded our group, and he, he, he really benefited from some people a little bit old, older, and in some cases wiser, <laughs> right? And I encourage you for that with, to have those kinds of rounded friendships, Don't just have friendships with people in the exact same social class, the exact same demographic. You don't, the person doesn't need to have kids and a spouse like you if you have that in order to be your friend. I I, I, I love the impact singles have had on my kids. And I love the impact that my wife and I are able to have on the singles in our lives. that's, That's Christian community. That's not affinity groups. So I encourage that. John Stott, was one of the most important pastors and theologians of the 20th century, longtime pastor in London. And at the time where Boeing 747s started flying the skies, uh, um, 
and, and the United Kingdom, people from the Commonwealth would all come to London, and this man was given great political influence because people would come here, John Stott preach in London from all the nations that they would get together in London. Uh, anyways, it's a different story. Very influential man, lived a celibate single life. He wrote, God created us as social beings. Love is the greatest thing in the world. For God is love. And when he made us in his own image, he gave us the capacity to love and to be loved. So we need each other. Yet marriage and family are not the only antidotes to loneliness. Some pastors work on their own, isolated from their peers. He's just speaking into his context. And in consequence are lonely. But the New Testament plainly envisages that each local church will have a plural oversight, plural eldership. We see it in the book of Acts. In addition... Single people are wise to develop as many friendships as possible with people of all ages and both sexes. For example, although I have no children of my own, I have hundreds of adopted nephews and nieces all over the world who call me Uncle John. I cherish these affectionate relationships. They greatly lessen, even if they do not altogether deaden, occasional pangs of loneliness. Singles cultivate deep Christian friendship. Church cultivate rounded community. Third, submit your sexuality to Jesus. Speaking of identity, today like never before, people are defining the entirety of who they are by their sexuality. Now, I'm going to dip my toe in the water here and get into a bit of a contentious issue, um, and that's a little bit dangerous to do, but, it, but it's the clearest example of finding our identity in our sexuality, where someone today will say, I'm gay. What do they mean by that? Well, they mean that the, the most notable, significant thing about me is my sexuality. This is... My sexuality is intrinsically tied to my substance, everything about me. Meaning, if you have a worldview that, that, that believes that homosexuality is, is not God's design, for example, then you hate me. You are a bigot because you reject not, not, not simply uh, how I view sex in my life, you reject me because I'm gay. It is my sexuality, okay? So I'm saying that as an example. I, I, I've given an entire sermon to, to talking kind of biblically uh, about this, and so I, I'd want to refer you there if you want to engage that more, and I'd love to talk with you more about that. I, I, I say that with, I, I hope it comes off with a real a softness. I just, just, I'm just trying to make a, a an observation of, of, of what I'm seeing in terms of identity being intrinsically tied to my sexuality today, and I, I don't think that intrinsic tie is, is, is right. We looked a couple weeks ago at chapter 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. woman that's what they wrote to him about. But because of the temptation, Paul responds, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because we all know once you're married, temptation goes away, right? 
No, what, what Paul's saying is there's a, there's a context by which God has designed sex to flourish. It's in the context of a, a marriage, a covenant of marriage, that, that one man and one woman be given to marriage, and in the midst of that commitment have enjoyable, frequent sex. And, and where temptation to, to turn from that design is turn and give back, pour in to that marital love with your spouse. Even in the midst of temptation, it'll be a way for you to combat temptation. Well, that doesn't work for the single person. So we pick it up in verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Get married. In the context of a biblical marriage, let sex flourish in that marriage. That's the context for it. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So he who marries his betrothed does well. That's, it, look, if you, if you, essentially Paul's saying, if you need to do that because you're weak, do it. If you're able to live a single life, you do well there as well, for he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Look, in our place and time, the Christian view of sex to be created by God, to be enjoyed exclusively in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife, right, it's seen as laughable today. Many of us are often embarrassed to even engage the biblical view of, of sex because it's laughable in our culture today. And yet, our commitmentless hookup culture we're seeing actually has devastating results. And, and the Christian worldview on this is actually a beautiful antidote. See, sex is seen as a commodity today to be pursued for self-gratification. God made it for it to grow intimacy and commitment between spouses, but instead people pursued the pleasure of sex without the commitment of marriage. And studies are showing that the results of the hookup culture have physical, mental, and spiritual ramifications. For example, it, it is deadening intimacy, meaning commitmentless sex is actually less pleasurable sex. Second, ramping up self-centeredness. This hookup culture ramps up, up self-centeredness because what it says is, I want sex. I don't want you. This is just an exchange of goods here. I'm not interested in you as a person. And third, it steals one's ability to flip the switch at some point and be monogamous, selfless, and committed one day because there's been a whole pattern of a hookup generation that's rewiring the way you see sex as a, as a commodity, as an exchange, as for self-gratification, commitmentless. See, the sexual revolution was supposed to liberate, but it's actually enslaved. We know this. There are unbelievers who are like rejecting porn. There are unbelievers who are like, man, this is messed up. This is so messed up that it's messing up my body. It's messing up my view of sex. And there's this whole movement now, nationally, internationally, to do away with porn, to put filters on stuff, to, to limit it, because it's just bad for us. You don't have to have a Christian worldview to agree the sexual revolution was supposed to liberate, but it's enslaved. You know this. Question for you. Who was the most fully alive, fully human being ever to live? It's the Sunday school answer of Jesus. Yes, Jesus. 
Jesus lived a celibate, single life and was the most human person to ever live. Don't buy the lie that chastity makes you less than human. Jesus was more than human, fully God and fully man, but he was not less than human. And he was the most full, lived the most fully human life ever. It's really important because we're a church to talk about grace at this point. See, we, we root our hopes not in our kind of purity record. We, we, we place our hopes in Jesus Christ, the one who gives grace to sinners. This church is built on grace. We're a people who recognize that my record isn't good enough. My record is quite poor, actually. I'm a sinner. Jesus is spotless. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we get his spotlessness, and he does away on the cross, did away with our sin, with our transgressions. He blots them out. See, as great as the the shame you might be feeling as we talk about submitting your sexuality to Jesus, the shame, the guilt that you might be experiencing in this moment as we talk about these things, I want you to hear more than anything, the grace of the Lord Jesus is greater than your guilt and shame. Christianity isn't built on you nailing it. It's on your sins being nailed to the cross and Jesus purchasing you with his blood. Doing what you couldn't. His grace is sufficient for you. A woman in our church who's been single her whole life and for many years knew because she was tracing the series that we land here. And so she wrote me a letter a couple of weeks ago about her experience with singleness. I'll give you a little excerpt of it. It was really, really meaningful to read. I really appreciated it. She wrote, I consider my singleness and consequently my celibacy to be my undesired gift. What impact has all this had on my desire for a husband and my feelings of resignation about being single? I have learned with joy that God truly wants to give me what he knows is best for me. It means that I must learn to delight myself in the Lord, not in my own desires. In Psalm 37, David says it well, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And she concludes, can a desire for a husband and for the intimacy of marriage be safely given into God's hands? My testimony is a resounding yes. Praise God for her. Fourth, if you marry, marry someone else pursuing Jesus. I want you to look at verse 49, 39. If a, a, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Interesting line, only in the Lord. It means he must belong to the Lord. If you want to get married again and you're a widow or a widower, you can get married again if the person has passed away, but you can only marry in the Lord, a Christian, someone following Jesus. The spirit of what Paul's saying here is if you marry, marry someone else pursuing Jesus. 
Some of you are given to singleness, and others of you find yourself single and long for a spouse. Right? We talked about this at the beginning. A Christian finds their identity in Christ. To, to marry somebody for the longing of a spouse who doesn't root their identity in Christ actually has an opposing and incompatible worldview. Your chief aim in life, if you want to use that kind of language, is to follow Jesus, give your life to the ministry of Jesus. To someone who's not following Christ, they, have that, they don't have that aim in life. And it's the chief aim of the follower of Jesus. So how, does, how could that possibly work? Now, we talked earlier in chapter 7 about the fact that the gospel was proclaimed in Corinth and some spouses accepted Jesus and others didn't. So there'd be couples where one's a believer, one isn't. And that's where Jesus spe- Paul is speaking in and saying, listen, this is your assignment where you are. Live for Jesus there. But to pursue someone for marriage who isn't a spouse is a totally different scenario entirely. So listen, don't look for Mr. Right. Look for Mr. Righteous. Wait, there's more. There's more. Don't look for Miss Haughty. Look for Miss Holy. Yeah. I thought of that late last night, and I was like, it's so bad that it's good? Is it? I don't know. My sister, Jenny, I have three older sisters, and somehow I managed to survive. Two of them are single. One of them's married. One of my single sisters, Jen, uh, has a ministry in East Vancouver. She, she started in university with a friend of hers, and it just morphed into a, a nonprofit that um, is really just trying to point youth, uh, mainly indigenous youth, to Jesus, um, providing a, a safe home, a shelter, um, just a, a family-type environment in a home where there's a lot of instability. A number of the youth that she's ministered to over the years, their parents were addicts on the downtown east side, suffering from addiction. In the, in, in the toils of addiction and, and living that difficult road. And of course, it doesn't provide a great home environment as it exists in the circumstances that we see on the downtown east side. And so to try and create a safe haven in a place where they can have an opportunity to continue their education and so on, she's just poured her life in that way. There were, in fact, in, entire extended families where no one in the family had ever graduated high school and she was giving these students safe haven, a home, life skills, and, and, and they were not only graduating from high school, but a number of these students over the years have, have now graduated university and are becoming teachers and becoming counselors. And it's just amazing. It's not that my sister didn't want a spouse. It's that she's been so given to the work of the Lord and what God's called her to that she's not going to sacrifice what God's called her to, to have that other desire, a lesser desire, a good desire, but a lesser desire of a spouse to get in the way of that. And as she's looked beside her, she just not, has not found in the last 20 years of doing this ministry a single man running towards Jesus with the same kind of aims. And so what has that led her to do? It's led her to carry on and trust Jesus in the midst of her singleness. I just told someone the other day, I'm like, ah, she's the Mother Teresa of our family, you know? And she is. I'm going to send her this clip because I, I struggle to tell her that in person. Okay. <laughs> Don't let your desire for a spouse and children trump the cause of Christ. This leads into the final point. Leverage your single years for the cause of the gospel. 
Leverage your single years for the cause of the gospel. Look at verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit in all of life. But the married woman and the married man are anxious about worldly things, how to please their spouses. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 38. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. What's Paul saying? He's doing a masterful job of not pitting marriage and singleness against each other, but saying that they're both gifts from God. But he's also asserting the fact that singleness affords a greater single-minded devotion to the Lord. A few months ago, Emily and I were just sitting at home one evening chatting, and I said to her, you know, if we weren't married, I think I'd be a missionary in the Middle East. Like, that's always kind of fascinated me. It's dangerous, and as you can see, I just look like danger, right? That you get that. And I, I just said to her, you know, like, I've been thinking about this. I think if I were single, if we, if we weren't married, I'd, I'd probably be a missionary in the Middle East. And she turned to me and said, if we weren't married, I'd probably be in the club right now. Now, we sanctify each other, and that's, that's been a gift for both of us. Actually, I think what happened was I said, I think I'd be a missionary in the Middle East. And then she started to say, if we weren't married, and I said, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm worried about what you're going to say. Anyways, there have been times in my life, where I've had to say no to ministry in order to say yes to my family. Whether it's teaching trips overseas or people needing care and counsel and it would would have me out a third or fourth evening a week, I've had to say no to church ministry in order to say yes to family ministry. And that's good and that's right. I have been given the gift of marriage and children and that is a primary assignment for me that I need to cultivate and God is pleased with that. But Paul is making an obvious point though about an obvious advantage of singleness. You are more freed up to risk and leverage your life for the gospel as a single person. This doesn't mean that married people can't. It just means the ceiling on your ability lowers. If I want to go and be a missionary in the Middle East, Emily's got to be good with that, and we've got to think about our boys around that. doesn't mean we can't go. It just means that there's probably a lot of conversation. I can't pack my bags and go. And that's okay. It's just lowered the ceiling on, on, on me, on my single-minded devotion to the Lord. Jesus, in Matthew 19, said, not everyone can receive this saying. He just talked about the fact that marriage is between one husband, one wife, four life, and nothing but death should stand in the way of that. And his disciples are like, whoa, you've just upped what we think about marriage. Who can do this? Maybe we should all be single. And Paul, uh, Jesus, Jesus responds, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been made, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, what eunuchs really are people who remain single and celibate. And Jesus is talking about three different types of eunuchs, three different types of people who remain single and celibate. The first is from birth, that there's some sort of physical defect, some sort of thing in um, getting in the way of a capacity for sexual relations. The second are those who are made eunuchs, which is really the horrible ancient practice of forcible castration. Think of a king would do this to have a man work in the queen's court. So he could ensure that the queen 
wouldn't be taken advantage of or abused or whatever, that the king would castrate the servant in the queen's court, things like that. The third uh, form of a eunuch were those who made themselves eunuch. This isn't some self-surgery he's talking about. Literally, to make oneself a eunuch is, the vol- is voluntarily putting marriage aside temporarily or permanently for the cause of Christ, for the kingdom. Think about the Apostle Paul. He could have had the ministry, he, he could not have had the ministry calling on his life that he did if he was married. He was away for, from home for years, for years. He was constantly away. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten constantly. This was his plight. Imagine if either his wife was with him, it, it just wouldn't have worked, or if she was just at home the whole time and he's sending letters about his imprisonments, or I got shipwrecked again, or I'm, I was beaten, they stoned me, and they thought I was dead, just writing to say, I love you, how, you know. He was constantly traveling, constantly beaten, all of those things. I, I, it may be why the Apostle Paul is the, is the greatest missionary who's ever lived, and it's not the Apostle Peter. Peter was married. Just put a ceiling on his capacity to leverage all for the kingdom. John Stott, again, of his own experience, in spite of rumors to the contrary, I've never taken a solemn vow or heroic decision to remain single. On the contrary, during my 20s and 30s, like most people, I was expecting to marry one day. In fact, during this period, I twice began to develop a relationship with a lady who I thought might be God's choice of life partner for me. But when the time came to make a decision, I can best explain it by saying that I lacked an assurance from God that he meant me to go forward. So I drew back. And when that had happened twice, I naturally began to believe that God meant me to remain single. Looking back, With the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why. I could never have traveled or written as extensively as I have done if I had had the responsibilities of a wife and family. So listen, if you're single here today, it's by God's providence, it's not by accident. Leverage your singleness for single-minded devotion to the Lord. You're given to many of the same distractions the rest of us are given to of smartphones and Netflix and pursuits of creature comforts, and we all need to push those away as ultimate and satisfying. But for the single, there's that additional opportunity to find your identity in Christ, to pursue deep friend, Christian friendships, to submit your sexuality to Jesus. If you're keeping your eye out for a future spouse, make sure they're pursuing Jesus above all else, and leverage the singleness you find yourself in today for the cause of the gospel. I'm going to just swiftly close with this. Well, Christian marriage puts the gospel on display. I say this a lot. Christian marriage puts the gospel on display. A husband and a wife and their, their, their selflessness in it. Yes, while, the Christ, while Christian marriage puts the gospel on display, Christian singleness reveals the sufficiency of the gospel, that Jesus is enough. Do you know that, singles? Your satisfaction with where you are today shines a light on the gospel and the sufficiency of Christ. Single Christians anticipate the consummation of the marriage of Jesus and his church, his bride, and testify to the sufficiency of Christ as truly enough. The greater reality that's going on 
is the all-satisfying, everlasting friendship of Jesus himself in the new heavens and new earth. Our identity and priorities are centered around Christ. We belong to Christ first and foremost. That's why Bruce Ware wrote, since human marriage is the shadow of the reality of the union of Christ and the church, our marriages are merely the shadow of that. No believing single will miss out on the reality of marriage even if God calls him or her to live without the shadow. For you, Christian, are wed with Christ. Let him be enough.